So you got a whole uh, alpha team now, don't you? But you but you have a wealth of knowledge that is beneficial to a lot of people, and it we can move the needle. How often do you hear a hunting podcast? We talked about this. People relate to this. Welcome back to Kafaru Cast, everyone. It's Friday afternoon, September 30th, the uh, last day of big game season in Colorado. I don't know about Wyoming because I haven't hunted here yet, but um, it's been a pretty exciting year for some of the employees here at Kafaru as far as hunting goes. And for, for Kenny or Kenneth, it's been a very exciting year. Um, Kenneth, uh, you know, obviously just started working for us during the move. He was actually up here early, so helped with the build of the building, moved up here before we even did. Um, anyway, he uh, ended up scouting quite a bit, got into some amazing deer, and uh, ended up ended up killing a real, real big one. But uh, Kenneth, what's up? Nothing much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pretty excited. So talk a little bit about, well, Tell us about yourself and then, you know, with you moving out here in the building and then let's start talking about hunting after that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I saw an opportunity to move out here. I saved up a lot of money. I wanted to, I'm from Western Oregon, um, saved up a lot of money because I wanted to come out to Wyoming, you know, and just know the experience of this country and uh, saw the opportunity of Kafaru moving. I'm a Kafaru customer before, so I believe the product and I just wanted to work here, so... I messaged you guys and said, I'm going to move here and buy a house and hopefully get a job with you guys and moved here without even having a job and, uh, just went full send and it's worked out so far. And, uh, I mean, it's a dream job. So, but Oregon, born, born in Oregon or, you know, born and raised and, uh, just love the West and I'm glad that I'm here now and, um, getting after it. Yeah. So you, um, uh, yeah, no, it's definitely working out for all of us cause we're, we're happy to have you. Um, you know, hunting in Oregon, like the the higher country type mule deer hunting, isn't something you you've been very successful hunting, specifically elk and some blacktail bear things like that. But you'd never really hunted, you know, in a quote unquote high country. Like I don't know how how you hadn't been above tree line that often, had you? No, only hunted one year in Western Wyoming, and I hunted half a day. Well, not even half a day, thirty minutes. Um, shot a buck in the high country right at first light. Um, so. And it wasn't, it was one of time when I wasn't, hadn't learned a lot of animal behavior yet. Um, but then after going back to Oregon and hunting four years, I was going really hard into elk and then blacktails, obviously, but coming out here, I was pretty motivated after that first year of hunting in Western Wyoming that, um, I wanted to get back in the high country and find a nice buck. Yeah. And you guys hit the ground, uh, hard. I mean, you specifically at first, and then once Dan got out here, you guys were both heading out. Um, and you had, uh, uh, been fairly successful finding uh, deer. Uh, it's just some of the bigger ones you'd find one day and then wouldn't find them again for four or five, and then you'd find them again. Um, but there was one specific deer that that which is the one you ended up killing. Uh, you basically lived with that thing. It's, on, honestly, to a level, I was laughing because I was like, "Yeah, I'm getting old. I don't think I have that type of." <laughs> I couldn't keep going back. Like you were going back every weekend. Yep. And um, I've kind of the point now where once I know it's there, I'll show up later and and, and find it. But um, you know that's schedule and everything else too, which which sucks. And so you were like, every weekend you'd leave right after work and then head out and you stay not just on this deer, but multiple different deer. Yeah. Yeah. I scouted, um, well, I moved to Wyoming and I already planned on when I moved to Wyoming, I wanted to have points. So, cause you have to wait a year, become a resident. So I had points, I drew a deer tag and instantly was just scouting it really hard. Um, scouted an area. We scouted it 
so hard. We found a lot of deer, but the de- the terrain was just not conducive to archery. I mean, I'm starting September 1st. I was going to go hard into archery. And I mean, you went and saw that area. It's heavily timbered. I mean, we did find some really good bucks, but it wasn't a spot where I felt like I could, the only spot thing I could do is really ambush them, like have to get into meadows and then hopefully they come through. Um, you know, we found a couple really nice deer, but I eventually moved to another area after scouting that one because I needed to have a backup plan. And that backup plan, it was August 20th and spotted an absolute, like it was really slow. And then 10 minutes before dark spotted a, that big deer. And as soon as that, I saw that, it instantly turned to that was my number one plan. And for, you know, like for you, like you're saying, you find a deer and then you'll come back and hunt a deer in the season. And my mindset is, you know, you've already had all that knowledge of deer. So I wanted to come back and just keep learning and learning and learning animal behavior of the, you know, mule deer. It's like, we kind of have black tails and Roosevelt's not figured out, but pretty well, um, can get on them. But yeah, so found that big deer on August 20th and then found him the next weekend and I got really good looks at him and then I I showed you a picture of him and, uh, that's when I could really see how big he was. But yeah, um, it was more or less, I got pretty addicted to that deer as you could probably say. And, um, you know, it was, it was cool because we talked before, I've always been an elk guy, like never really got into, you know, sort of deer or anything. I kill them every year, but I never really invested my time into it. So this year I had to, and, uh, man, it's, it's addicting for sure. No, it, it is. And not to bring up bad shit, but Kenny actually missed that deer opening day with his bow. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was going to get into that. <laughs> it's, it's difficult. Um, not, well, I say difficult, but like, uh, that, that adrenaline rush on the, the final stock is, is, uh, hard, hard to repeat. And it's definitely, yeah, it's weird. I, I just shot that elk and I, my heart is not up a fraction as much as it is on a stock. Like it's cool calling an elk. I'm not saying that, but you just, uh, well, you know, with elk, you're not always, but you know, you call them and you're standing there and you wait and they come and you shoot them where when you're stalking, you're worried about the deer, the wind, the sticks below you, all kinds of shit. Um, and you know, and you're having to, you know, proceed closer and make sure you're actually going to the right spot. So there's a lot, lot entails that not taking, again, taking away anything from elk hunting. Um, but you got within 30 yards of that thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, um, so came back opening weekend and, you know, I came on, actually I came on the 30th, uh, the night of the 30th. i actually found that deer that night. And this is when I kind of got really into how he was behaving, but I saw him that night I didn't see him at all on the 31st and I'm only looking at like a 500 yards from me and, uh, saw him that night, 30th, didn't see him the 31st opening morning comes and I don't see him at all. I don't see him through opening morning and, uh, and actually Anders showed up. Anders came in really clutch. He, he came and literally was just glassing for me. He has the same deer tag. His plan was not to stalk anything. He was just going to help me out and try to kill this deer. Um, we ended up seeing that deer. He came out with probably five minutes left of light. Like I could barely see him through the binos and then got the spotter on him. And he came out in the same exact spot he did on the 30th. So saw him September 1st on that night. Um, September 2nd came and didn't see him in the morning. Sit there glassing and I'll tell you what, like sitting there glassing the same hillside over and over and over again, you start to really see the little nooks and crannies. But um, right at 11 o'clock, I spotted him 
he got up and he was moving toward to where he was betting the last two times I saw him. So in my mind, I'm just coming from an elk hunter. I'm too, I was definitely too aggressive. Like I instantly, I was like, I'm going to cut him off and then get there in front of him and then shoot him when he comes across the hillside. But when I made that move, I got below him and he was about within a hundred yards of me. And I noticed my wind was not good. So I ended up backing out and Anders was watching the deer. The deer went up into the trees, this little group of trees and hadn't come out of it. And, uh, when I went on the spotter and looked in the group of trees, the deer stood there for an hour looking down to where I was. Like he heard something down there. And, um, that's when I was really starting to realize like this deer is very intelligent. And he stood there for an hour just looking and then typical, I mean, I looked over, talked to honors, looked back, the deer's gone. And <laughs> he, I don't know how he got through the openings without us seeing him, but about an hour later, around one thirty, I, uh, I looked at this bed that I've been looking at the whole time while, we're, while I've been scouting, while I've been looking and it's the only bed on the hillside. I figured I could get a stock on a deer if it beds there. And sure enough, boom, he's bedded there. So at one thirty, he's bedded facing, looking downhill. So the wind's coming up. I figured I can get around on top of him, come through the trees and get a shot. Um, so I told Anders, I straight headed over there. I took a picture before going and then marked a little mark on the picture where he was. And this is the first stock I've ever put on a bedded meal deer ever. <laughs> and, uh, so I get to that side, I put on those Gulo stalkers and then, uh, sneaking in and I ranged this tree. Cause after looking at the pictures I'm like, Oh shit, it's 59 yards away and he's underneath it. Um, so I figured if I get to this rock that's up in front of me, I'll be 30 yards from the, from the deer. But in that meantime, I didn't know that he must've heard me or something, but he turned around and rebedded looking up at me, looking up towards me. Um, so in the meantime, I got to that rock, I peeked over the rock and then I see his antlers. He's looking up at me. I'm like, okay, like he's knows something up. And so I pulled back behind the rock and I got to about a half crouch and I could see his head and his neck and then there's a branch and then what looked like his chest. And was he, was he looking up at you? Yep. He was bedded looking up at me and I was like 30. So it was 31 yards after, you know, I shot, I knew it was around in that 30 yard range. So pulled up and I'm like, okay, underneath that branch is his chest. It's a gray, just like his coat. And so I put the pin on there. I'm like, I'm just going to send it through his chest, torch it off. I'm high. Like in my mind, I'm, we're hiking back with this buck. It's the greatest moment of my life. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, pow, freaking the rock just, I mean, the arrow just exploded on a rock. There was, there was, uh, there was a tree on the side of him to his, to looking at my left where he was on the right side of it. The rock was on the left side of the tree, but it came underneath that branch and I could not see it at all until my arrow hit it. Yeah. It looked like his body. Cause they're both kind of gray. Yep. Both yeah. gray. And it was just right in front of, right in front of him. And as soon as it hit that rock, he busted out and instant, oh shit, you know, yeah. this instant heartbreak. And, uh, so walk back to Anders, the longest walk of shame I've ever had. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we glassed the rest of those two days and we could not find him. So that's when, and we had to, we came back after that. Um, and I was pretty dejected after scouting this deer and then getting a shot, but still, you know, definitely it hurts. And I ended up calling you and talking to you about it. And, uh, you know, you're saying, you know, he's, he'll be back in three to five days. You know, I'm, I was worried that he'd be gone forever, but, um, you know, it was, it felt good getting a, 
a really good stock on the deer. If I would have fully just stood straight up, I would have shot. I could have, it would have been wide open, but yeah. I was scared that he was looking at me, that he would have just busted out as soon as I started to get up. But saw him. So that was September 2nd, missed him. Didn't see him at all. And then the following weekend came, I think it was the 7th. No, it was the 10th and the 11th, Saturday the 10th and the 11th. So got in there, didn't see him at all on the 10th. And, you know, I'm starting to think he moved or something. So the morning of the 10th, I literally hiked around the whole mountain <laughs> looking at track, looking at trails, trying to find his track. Cause when I was on that side, I saw his track and it's, it's fucking huge. Yeah. So I looked all around that side, didn't find any tracks leaving that basin. So I'm like, okay, he's still kind of in this area and, uh, go around, didn't see him at all in the 10th. saw all the small deer. And then the morning of the 11th popped up and I spotted a big deer, big body deer right at first light. I mean, we have good optics, so it's that right early, early gray light and, uh, spotted a deer looking at it, put the spotter on it. And when it picked up its head, I saw a big rack. But typical, you know, I'm say Anders, I, f- I think it's him. I look back, deer's gone. <laughs> yeah. And and then sure enough, a bunch of little deer start popping out. And I'm like, man, did I see one of the little deer? And I, just my mind's playing tricks on me, you know. And um, so I'm sitting there, we glassed, and uh, I ended up spotting another four point. And this is the only closest deer that was to him, a four point that's like 150 inches, you know. And I was planning on stalking him. He could join those other, uh, small deer. I figured that big deer has gone. I just need, I mean, I like to get stalks on things. I like to kill things. So that four point bedded down, I'm trying to get a different angle on the buck. So I went back to my left and glass back up into the trees. And sure enough, I'm looking at him and then to the right tucked underneath the trees, that big buck was underneath it. So spotted him miss him on the second and finally relocated him on the 11th. And he's only about 400 yards from where I first missed him. So pretty excited and go back to Anders and I'm trying to plan how to stalk him. But he, he was by himself when I missed him, but then he joined four other bucks. So I'm thinking, you know, he bedded himself in the middle of those four bucks. It's kind of, I'm not sure, you know, he's just building a safety net yeah, or whatever. Centuries. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And so sat in there Anders talking to my ear he's like hey rifle's gonna open the 15th come back in and shoot him you know just don't mess around with the bow you know he's 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 a big deer and definitely so I decided okay there's no way to stalk him right now without blowing out the small deer that's above him or below him so I was like okay I'm gonna wait and we had to come back either way for Monday to come back to work and so came back and I'm chomping at the bit to get back out there, you know, just hoping that he's still in the area. And then, uh, the night of the 14th came, I hiked in that afternoon and actually spotted a new deer, a pretty nice four point, a nice three point, probably about 24 inches wide, like outside. And I, I love shooting things. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking if I see this deer on the 15th, am I going to shoot that deer, you know, and cool three point. And, uh, I don't see the big deer that night, the night of the 14th and, um, sitting there glassing again, the morning of the 15th and I spot that three point. So I had a decision, make decision to make and, uh, sitting there and I mean, growing up black tail hunting, you know, like you don't really pass opportunities on anything. No, not on even forked horns. <laughs> I know forked, <laughs> forked, forked horns are fair game in Oregon. And, uh, so I'm sitting there and I'm like, 
ah, it's like, I have time. Like I have a little bit of time and, but then I started to pack up my shit and I was going to go over there and shoot that deer. But then I started thinking if I'm really kind of thinking about it now, then I'm not, I sh- shouldn't shoot that deer. So decided to stick it out. Totally didn't look at that deer again. He was on the other hill. I was like, whatever. And I ended up seeing every single one of the deer I've saw before all the small deer besides the four point and that big, the six by four. So I sat there glassing all day. Didn't see him at all on the 15th. So 16th was coming around and I knew I was going to get some weather that there was going to be a good storm rolling through. Um, so wake up on the, on the 15th, go out to the glass knob and it's clear, super clear. I'm thinking, okay, like the storm's going to come, but I think it's that, that, that barometric pressure was coming in and those, there was no deer out whatsoever, right? The first, the first 30 minutes of light. So right after 30 minutes, not seeing anything, fog comes in and it's foggy. I can't see like 40 yards in front of me and then it starts snowing and I'm like, all right, it's definitely time just to go sit in the tent. So I went in the tent and, um, seven hours later, I was going to say the forecast was bleak. Um, (laughs) I remember looking at it and, uh, I think I was heading out on a hunt. You were going to Colorado. Yeah. Um, what was I, was I going, yeah, I was going on my elk hunt and I remember that night, uh, saying something to the effect of, uh, Kenneth is probably getting his shit, shit pushed in right now by weather. Um, cause it <laughs> yeah. was fucking bad. Yeah. Yeah. And at your altitude or snow. Oh yeah. 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 And so that weather rolled in, it's snowing and so it's snowing and kind of raining. So it's, it's a wet snow. So I went to the tent and I was like, well, I'm going to ride it out. I mean, you know, from hunting Oregon and everything, it's like once, once you get these type of storms and everything, and then once it lets up, they're going to be out moving. Everything's got to eat. Yep. It has to eat. So I'm like, these deer are getting snowed on. They can't see. So they're just going to be hunkered down. So I just laid down in the tent and I'm already had a good night's sleep. So I can't sleep whatsoever. And I sat there for seven hours, but really just excited because I knew once it clears big, like a deer is going to die. And so I kept looking at the forecast, had a little bit of um, service. And then in the nearest town, I saw that it was going to clear up around two. So it got to around like one thirty. I started getting all my shit around and, um, about one I got out of the tent and then the snow was starting to let off. And then as soon as I got to the glassing knob, the fog started to lift and it started to lift to the layer to where I could start to see the terrain. And in my mind, I keep, I keep looking back to where I saw that deer before. Um, on the 11th, I keep just looking back to that area. So first thing I do, I put the binos on the tripod, look right up to that, um, hillside. Boom. I see a deer's ass in the rocks in my mind. I'm hoping please don't be one of those small deer. Cause I'm getting really tired of seeing those little deer. And, uh, I put the spotter on him. As soon as I put the spotter on him, he picked up his head and I'm like, Oh shit, there he is. Like instantly there's that big deer. And, um, so got the gun down and I'm trying to get a range and I cannot get a range whatsoever because the fog yeah, fog sucks. Fogs, yeah. It was, it was not, it was saying 96 yards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I know I was pre-range in the, the Hills before and I knew it was in that 600 range, but I knew the difference between 600 and 620 is a lot. So sitting there ranging it, nothing, nothing, nothing. And what felt like forever, obviously, but it was only, I looked back at my camera and it was only like 10 minutes, but eventually it hit 618 and, and that's, and the thing is from that, where he put himself, I could not get a shot besides from right there. If I went to the left or to the right, 
it'd be farther shots or I couldn't be able to see them. Um, and if I went down, I couldn't be able to see them because of trees. So I'm probably pretty sure he knew that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no. The, the spot he put himself in, it was terrible for archery stocks and also just rifle shots, you know? And I mean, we, we get access to pretty good guns. And so, you know, Viking armament, XLR, everything. So I got on my app, I put in 618, dialed it to 11.1 MOA and, uh, put the camera on video, got settled. And the good thing is during that 10 minutes, I got everything perfect, ready to go. Yeah. Everything. 618, torched it off and smack, just dropped him right in his tracks. (laughs) And, and, uh, did you about shit? Oh my God. Like actually in the video, you can hear at the end, I just like, Oh my God, you know, just like grab the camera instantly. I ran to the knob where I had service and I called you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, Aaron, you know, I, I got him down, you know, and I, I was pretty excited. I mean, I hunted him from, I mean, first seeing him on the 20th August and then killing him on September 16th. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And I was to say like looking at him, um, yeah, I was trying to like, you know, like score him and I had figured like 165, 170 mainframe and then trash. And I, he ended up scoring in the one nineties. Total, yeah. didn't he? Yeah, he scored uh one ninety one and four eights. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, buck of a lifetime. Oh yeah. And that's the thing, is like when I first saw him, I was guessing probably one eighty five around in there. Um, just because he had those extras. Yeah. Because he's he's got little weeks on his back, but it was when I got up to him I realized he's his mass and also those extras were very nice. I mean, the the anticipation of walking up to that deer was pretty pretty rewarding. And uh packing off the mountain and everything. But I mean, I get, I don't really get super animated when I kill anything, but when I kill that type of a deer, especially when you're shooting black toes your whole life and then yeah. <laughs> shooting that big of a deer, it was, it was rewarding in the sense that missing it too. I mean, I wish I would have shot him with a bow been way, way awesome, but I just knew once that 15th came, I had a better opportunity to come with a rifle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, that's one of the thing nice here. You're, tag just transfers over to, you know, to rifle, but then you just, uh, you actually got them cut up and just packed them to camp and then stayed the night there and then packed them out the next day. Yeah. The weather, the weather was still pretty shitty. I kept getting snowstorms that would come through in spurts and then foggy. Yeah. I saw your photos. There was snow yeah. on the ground when you sent them. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was getting after it pretty good. So I was like thinking in my mind, I shot him around two, two fit, two fifteen. It's like when I get over him, get him cut up and get back to camp, it'll probably be around five thirty six. So just doing the math in my head real quick, I was like, okay, I'm not gonna be able to hike out and get back, you know, in the, in the light really. And it wasn't really that it was more or less that it was going to start snowing again. So I got back, I got the meat all put up. I actually put, uh, uh, the sheep tarp over it, just kind of keep the meat kind of dry. I mean, it sucks getting meat wet and then it just starts to spoil a little quicker. Um, so got the meat dry and everything. And then I ended up skinning the head just to get out the job up, drop the draw. I mean, I got a lot of comments of people saying, you know, you should mount that deer and everything. But I mean, I like saving money and also I like hunting things. So yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to spend something where I could buy a tag for another hunt. Now, believe me, I've heard it my whole life. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so I just European mounted him and, uh, it turned out really good. You can always mount it later if you want it. It's not that hard to find a mule deer cape. So yeah. it's not, you know. Yeah. And if, if anything in the future, you know, we kill another big body deer and then just take that cape off of it and stuff. But for right now, it's just going to be up, you know, and, but 
yeah, I came back and got them all figured out. And I was like, screw it. I'm just going to sleep tonight and then pack out everything in the morning. And I knew the next day it was going to be clear. But as soon as about like seven hit, another storm came in pretty good. So I was like, okay, this is a good choice. Cause it, it got foggy again. Couldn't see anything. Um, but yeah, it was, and I actually, I could not sleep that night whatsoever. I was so, I was pretty excited, like definitely pretty pumped up, but, um, yeah, it was, it was a cool experience because I actually got to see a mature animal and how he behaved the way he behaved between the two and a half to three and a half year olds was wild. I mean, I, you looked at his teeth. He's an old deer. Um, I did take his tooth out and I'm going to get it aged just to see. Yeah. But cause now, now I'm, I'm fully invested in a male deer for sure. After seeing that deer's behavior, I'm already looking at new areas to check out. I mean, even this year, I'm probably, I'm going to scout some areas. <laughs> I mean, might as well scout it during season when you're going to be hunting them next year. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm fully invested. I'm definitely still going to kill elk whenever I can, but that's the thing against elk is all elk are big. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, even small ones, even small ones. <laughs> yep. Yep. And I, I'm not good at passing up elk and I won't ever probably be good at passing up elk. So I think I'm really, I'm really going to invest into mule deer more next year. And again, just like I did this year and just kind of like go out. I mean, we have, I mean, I went out and shot a cow had a cow tag and went out and shot the cow tag the first morning. Yeah. It was a week later right? yep. or a few days later. Yeah, I actually packed meat a week, two weeks in a row on yeah. Saturday. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's the thing is I, I love meat and everything. I mean, I eat it every day, but to shoot, you know, a smaller deer and then shoot a bigger deer, there isn't really a ton of meat difference. There is more on a bigger deer, obviously. Yeah. Like 15 pounds or something. Yeah. yeah. It's not much. So it's like, you might as well try for, a yeah. bigger deer if you ha- if you have the capabilities and everything and i know that sounds cocky but i mean we scout yeah, pretty hard not really i mean and i'm not a very good trophy hunter but I, you know mule deer spike i just you know try to shoot something over four and a half but the, the other thing is too is the rifle portion of it is you know oh, if makes you it can't better. yeah it makes yeah. it yeah if you can't you know get in on it with a you know with a bow you can transfer over to the rifle and you know and re- the reality is it's like that deer i have no doubt with the country like if it was somewhat feasible to kill that buck with a bow you probably would have stuck it out but like the terrain or whatever was not great um I'm not saying it was impossible but it's pretty fucking close uh to not you know to be able to kill that thing with a bow yeah. um and, and when I say that like when you first took me up there I was like yeah you're fucked like this is not conducive to bow hunting yeah. <laughs> I was like you can't still hunt through that I was like you know I, I think I'd said yeah you're probably gonna have to ambush them like it's gonna be tough mm-hmm. And uh, some of the cliffs, um, you know, Colorado, most of the places where mule deer live above them, you can get dropped down. Um, it's it's not that way in some of the spots, um, you know, that I had looked at where, you know, there might be a spot where they can egress, but it's 300 yards, you know, left or right of them and up, not where you can drop down and get a, above them. Um, and then they're usually in some giant ass patch of, you know, timber significantly below that where it's, it's not impossible, but it's pretty pretty damn hard. Yeah. Yeah. And those deer, especially it seemed like the bigger ones were really hanging close to that timber. I mean, that's, we catch them in openings and everything. And so the first time I saw that deer bed in any sort of spot, I could see it was when I sh- took, put the stock on and missed it. Yeah. Um, other than that, he was bedding in the timber every time could not see into the timber. I magically got an angle where I could see his right antler when he bedded with that four point. Yeah. But 
and that's the thing is like, and like you're saying that rifle does make it better. Cause if I would have seen him on the 11th, I probably would have tried to figure out a stock, you yeah. know, especially would have tried harder. Cause I know those deers behave, those deer behavior once they're going to rub is going to be totally different. When I shot that deer on the 16th, he had, he still had velvet. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I know people go back and forth on that. Like, um, I'm, I'm kind of more of the, they, they do turn into a different animal once the velvet's gone. I'm not saying they're not still in the high country. They're just a little bit more in the trees in the high country, meaning they're a lot more out in the wide open in the willows, you know, bedding under cliffs um, where they may still come out, but they're generally a lot more in the timber once they lose their velvet. And then specifically, uh, a, you know, a five and a half to, uh, you know, plus, you know, mule deer not in velvet is really, really fucking hard to kill with a bow in the high country. It's not, not impossible. It's just once they lose their velvet and their oldest shit, uh, yeah, they probably figured out how to live, um, you know, yeah. how to survive. They figured out how to not, not get killed. So, yeah. Yeah. And even when I'm, I was scouting him, I mean, I wasn't seeing him a whole lot during daylight. Like I'd see him early in the morning, late at night. And, but then when season came, it seemed like he definitely, he hunkered down that timber. And I'm not sure if he was just feeding so much at night, like just feeding so much at night. And then and the good thing, well, the good thing for them this year is that there was a lot of moisture and underneath the canopy, there was a lot of food. He didn't really have to come out. Um, but eventually I think that storm, like I knew just from hunting blacktails and everything, like you get that weather and if you can stick it out, I mean, you know me not by now. I mean, I, I don't care. Like yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go wherever. So, I mean, I just sat there with a smile on my face, like, okay, you know, I'm wet in the tank. It's kind of condensation. But once that clears up, there's going to be deer out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're just, you're waiting out for better times. And it's, it's, it's true with all, you know, animals and whether it be, you know, the, you know, if it rains for a day and a half, you know, and the rain calms down that morning, it may not be that morning they come out. It may be right after that. It may be that afternoon or, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. as soon as the sun starts hitting and the rain stops, yeah, they got to eat. I mean, they can only chew their cut or what's the white tail is the same way. They, they can only hang out without food for so long, just like water is the same way. And in, in the case with where you're at, they really don't have to get water where they were because it was raining so damn much. But um, oh, yeah, yeah, no, it worked good. And then, yeah, you shot that cow shortly after that. Um, mm-hmm. And you actually had a, a bull that you couldn't shoot to <laughs> yeah. kill himself. Yeah, it's uh, it's the interesting thing. It's moving to Wyoming. You have to wait that year to become a resident. So I kind of planned out my tags to be able to pick up a bull tag, but I don't have that bull tag until the late season. So I had a cow tag and I'm like, okay, I killed that deer. That was my full focus for September. I have one more week into September and I have this cow tag. Cow tag's open, but it will open up in the late season. But I'm like, screw it. I want to kill I want to kill someone with a bow too. So I went into that and I was planning mainly just to hunt the elk like I'm hunting a bull is to find a bull bugle in, sneak in, and then whack one of the cows. Um, so sure enough, plan worked out just like that. Got a bull to crack off. Um, and he played the game of just kept bugling while I'm sneaking in on him. So, and that's the thing is over the years of just elk hunting, if they're bugling and they keep bugling, just go in on them. Yeah. I mean, sneak up on the herd. I mean, so I got in close. I, this, I started my stock probably f- close to a mile away, like just making the move on them, trying to get the wind right. And it didn't help that I was in the morning, I was above them. So I had to get the wind right. Um, but I got into 70 yards from that bull and he was rubbing a tree in the timber. And I'm on the outside just cringing because I know I could sneak up into the timber and probably whack him while he's occupied yeah. tearing apart this tree. But he moved to my left 
and into an opening. I'm like, okay, that's probably where the cows are. So I start moving up into that opening and I see a cat or I see a elk's ass go through the willows into another opening. I'm like, okay, that was probably him just walking through because I couldn't see anything in the opening to my right, him walking through, joining the cows on the left. So I start sneaking up over to that left meadow and I look over to my right and there's the bull standing there <laughs> and he's standing there 50 yards broadside. <laughs> and you know, he, he's looking at me and I'm like, sat there, I stood up, looked at him. I'm like, I could just pull back and shoot him. But so that, that was a little cringeworthy, but I knew, well, I figured the cows might come back to him cause he started to move to his right. Just kind of, you know, he saw me, he doesn't know what I am. Um, but he started moving to his right, but the cows went up the ridge to my left. I'm like, okay, he split off. He moved off to the right. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to bugle and act like I'm just following the cows. The cows kind of got spooked just because of him. But when I bugled, I heard him stop up the ridge. So I just kept following him, just walking with him. They were, kept going, kept going. And about 500 yards later, I caught up to him and uh, I caught a cow moving about 40 yards through the timber. Cow called and tried to get her stopped. She kept walking. And then the cow to my, a little bit to my right, pops up on the edge of the bench. And I turned over. She's coring to me, 25 yards, put it right, you know, coring two shot. You know where to put it. Put it right in her chest and let her rip and it buried all the way through. Yeah, because you split her shoulder in her chest and it, it started to poke out in front of the rear ham, right? Yep, yep. It, yeah, it started to poke out offside the rear ham. I just um, want to make sure people don't take that out of context. There's a quartering two you probably should never shoot, and there's a quartering two shot that is extremely lethal, which is if anybody's ever killed anything, when you pull the front shoulder off, it about falls off. Yep. If you shoot inside of that um, uh, shoulder, yeah, you're basically not really hitting any resistance. And uh, you were shooting, uh, was it a one and a half or two and sever? Uh, One and a half sever. And then uh, your arrows, what did we get them up to, 450 or something? 440. Yeah, 440. and uh, 280. Yep, and uh, and it was it didn't poke out the other side, but it was pushing out the other yep, side. Yes, it was a uh, bloodshot on the other side, and then I actually yeah. pushed the arrow back through to get it out. Because yeah. so after, I mean, I've shot now four elk in the chest, and I've they've all fell within thirty yards. Yeah. So, I mean, I won't condone anyone to shoot that because I've heard horror stories, but I will shoot that shot hundred percent every time. You know, she took it right in the chest and. And within five seconds, I could hear her gurgling. Yeah. And so there was no waiting. I literally waited one second, took a selfie, and then walked up to it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, uh, but I, I, so I went and after cutting her up, you know, you want to see the inside of where it went. So the arrow went through, hit the front lung, cut the top of the tubes of the heart, and then hit the, the uh, offside lung and then poked out through the guts. I yeah. mean, she, she was not going anywhere. There was a blood trail that, you know, like Stevie Wonder could go, you know, walk through. So, um, uh, yeah, you saw the one I had the same thing. I know, I know it's, it's, and that's the funny thing, you know, I'm not going to get into the whole frontal thing, but I, I will. Um, yeah. <laughs> so like that, I posted that, um, yep. I don't know, whatever, a few weeks ago and guys were saying it was too low and, um, nope. you know, yeah, no, uh, that's, if you look at that video, that's right where I hit the bull this year. <laughs> like, yeah. except he was, that one's just slightly quartering and the one I had was dead facing me, but you know, I was an inch right. But when they're, when they're sub 20, especially, or that 25, 28, whatever, they have a little bit more of a chance to, to duck. And so where that, where the Brown meets the light just below that, Oh, I don't know, a couple inches or whatever you, you, you will get into the brisket, but it, unless you just can't shoot for shit, aim a little bit higher. But if you can hit what you're aiming at, um, 
you know, and, and people say, well, they move, they do lower, oh, right? Yeah. So they that's, lower. you know, and mine didn't fucking move at all when I, it took like a champ. Um, same thing. I, mine was facing, but it, uh, when I hit it, I looked back at Mitchell and he was shaking his head and I'm like, I blew its heart out. Right. And he's like, mm-hmm. and I, sh- I was shooting a two inch uh, schwacker on that one. Yeah. And, uh, dude, it's, it was logging, like it was knocking trees down and, uh, South didn't hear my bow go off. So he didn't know if I shot it. And so, but South has seen a lot of shit that. So he's like, nothing runs away like that without getting hit. And he's like, did you hit it? And I'm like, oh, it, it's dead. Yeah. And uh, uh, we, uh, I could see blood where it stood, which generally doesn't happen that fast. Um, and we, we went up to it and I said, you're about to see the results of a frontal because this thing's going to bleed all over. And, uh, you know, I was literally two inches into the darker hair. And uh, I don't you saw the blood trail, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, it was, it was same, gushing. Same yep. like yours, like yep. stop signs every time it bound. And mm-hmm. now it did a death run downhill, but... Um, when, you know, when we got to it, obviously it was like the last, cause it did it like, it was steep where we were at. Mm-hmm. Um, it was knocking trees down. You see root wads flipped up where it hit, which is insane. But like, I, I get it. If you don't want to take it, like I, it, I don't have any, you know, issue at all. I mean, I, don't get me wrong for hunting and there's no 20 yards and you don't shoot it in the chest. I'm probably going to yeah. say you fucked up, but, yep. <laughs> um, but if you're not, you know, good enough to hit that, you got to think the probability of you hitting something in the shoulder, knuckle, or stomach is pretty high broadside uh, when, within reason, close up. Um, and what I'm saying is if, um, you know, you can't hit a softball at 20 yards, you want to practice a little bit. And, and, and I'm trying not to be a dick here, but if you wound one on a frontal, they're fine. Oh, yeah. And when I say fine, like I've watched it, you know, they'll, they'll take it pretty much like a champ, uh, meaning you're going to hit the muscle in the, the shoulder. Not that you want to wound anything. You wound one on a broadside shot. There's a high probability they're either fine in the knuckle or they're it's in the stomach or diaphragm or whatever. Um, that's kind of a pro to it. And when I say a pro, meaning like if you shoot one in a frontal, you're pretty much going to know immediately, okay, I hit muscle or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And so I just you know, try to explain to people like learn anatomy. And then, yeah, if you're worried about your shit in your pants, I, I get that, but the, that doesn't mean broadside's going to fix that either. That might make, make might no. end up worse. Yeah. Uh, meaning the animal's going to die and you don't find the fucker. Yeah. So. Yeah. If you, if you black out and kind of like, you know, obviously some people get target panic with a, an animal there. Yeah. I mean, we've, we killed stuff growing up and everything. So it's kind of like you're just going through and, you know, as soon as that cow came up, I'm like, okay, you know, have 20, 30, put it right in between, torch it off and watch the arrow just go right to where I wanted it. Yeah. I mean, we have killed enough things now that, you know, definitely you way more, but it's more or less, if you can't control yourself under that, yeah. don't, don't take that shot. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And or potentially any shot. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to wound a lot more. And you know, it's like, just like with that deer, I wasn't shitting myself. I literally was confident that that great shot the rock. Yeah. (laughs) It was, it was like a night and day. Like I, I keep telling everyone I I 12 ring that rock. Yeah, (laughs) That's the worst letdown when you're like, okay, everything literally went as right as it, as it could. And I was laughing. I did that. Uh, I've done that once before. Um, it was a little bit farther shot, same, almost same. I fucked up. I mean, I didn't have it looking at me. 
I just poked up, ranged it, dropped, and uh, same same rock. And mm. uh, mine actually did cause some shrapnel damage. Something <laughs> stuck into it because there was a little cut on it. But same deal. But, I mean, it's easier said than done. Um, like, okay, let's say you took 10 seconds poking your head over, and then the fucker gets up and runs off. And it's like, oh, I should have hurried. And then you hurry, and then you're like, oh, I should have took more time. I mean, it's, it's, there's always something, right? Oh but, yeah. There, there's always going to be a hindsight. Like after that, I was kicking myself so much. Cause I'm like, you know, I literally could have just stood up and punched it right off into him. Yeah. You know, but yeah. then again, you know, in my head, I'm thinking that deer's pretty smart. If you just saw me as soon yeah. as I got up, he probably would have busted. Yeah. So, I mean, hindsight's 2020. I smoked the rock, but then I killed him later. So, yeah. I mean, I'd be, I'd be a real hurting man right now if I didn't finish it, you know, but yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's more or less, you have to have the confidence to make the sort of shots. I've killed en enough shooting him in the chest that I feel confident. Like I was going to shoot that deer in the chest. Yeah. You know, he was bedded kind of quartering to me. I was going to put it right in front of the shoulder. And then and, and if you're hunting uh, solo, which, you know, I do a lot elk hunting. Um, the, the probability of a frontal shot is pretty great because they're coming straight in at yep. you. And, and that's one of the reasons why I've t had, you know, had to, I say had uh, taken frontal shots is, you know, when you're calling on your own, especially if you're zigging and zagging and calling, cause sometimes you got to call and then move forward real quick. And then, you know, you, you know, it's coming. So you've repositioned and it's, it's coming straight to you looking. Um, generally if you're already at full draw, um, which is, the best case scenario, mm -hmm. he'll walk a little look, walk a little look, and then you know, you shoot him. Sometimes, though, um, you know, you will get a broadside shot because you might draw when he's at 20 and he'll bound off to 40, turn broadside, kind of look back. That happens. But in the case with, like, this one with South, he he South missed it. He helped me, uh, not by just by missing it, but once he missed it and I cow called, you know, the elk had been hearing cow call. We didn't even bring a bugle the first two days. We yeah. didn't. They were calling enough. We didn't need to. Um, he, uh, I cow called to stop him. And uh, like literally when South missed, I went to full draw because I didn't know he missed. I wasn't sure. I thought he had missed, but I was like, okay, if I need to send a follow-up, South and I are in agreement with that. Yeah, like Usually everyone should be. Yeah, you send a follow-up if it's mm -hmm. hitting the gut or whatever. So I'm looking to see if it's hunched up, and this is like five seconds. And I was like, he missed. And then uh, Mitchell, you know, and he pivoted, I mean, just a hair. And uh, for me, I didn't have to split pins. It, it was fucking close. And so I put my 20 right there. And when I, I you know, I have that click, mm -hmm. I was already on the click when Mitchell had cow called because I was ready to get, I get that thing going. Yeah. And uh, I just relaxed my hand. And uh, yeah, again, when it hit, I looked back at South. I thought he'd be cheering. He didn't know I'd shot. He didn't hear my bow go off. <laughs> he was only like 30 yards from me. Yeah. And so I'm like, well, get the fuck down here. Well, let's celebrate. This thing's dead, you know, yeah, but there was like fucking trees falling and shit. And so he was like, man, he's like, did you, did you hit it? And I'm like, oh, it, it's dead. And, mm -hmm. uh, he's like, I didn't hear your bow go off. And I said, dude, I didn't even knock an arrow till like last minute. Cause we were trying to get South the bull. Yeah. And, um, when I saw it, I knocked an arrow. I'll be honest. Like <laughs> at first I would, I had the bow leaning against a tree and I was kind of just splitting it. So just like a little bit of my shoulders were poking out and get poke my head. And I saw just a huge shitty grin from South, like nodding his head with a thumbs up. And I'm like, South had just passed like a 280 bull. I'm like, this thing's must be pretty damn big. And then I saw it and I was like, Oh, he's 320, um, you know, easily. So mm -hmm. I knocked and I, I literally behind that tree grabbed it out of the quivalizer and knocked it. And, uh, my arrow rest is always up mm -hmm. and, uh, made sure my shit was on 50 cause my fifties, my 20, 30, 40, 50. Yep. And then I just 
Is that the bow there? Well, then it kept coming. I'm like, I better pick my fucking <laughs> bow up just, just in case. Yeah. yeah. And then anyway, it was funny, but yeah. yeah, it was an eventful three, uh, two, three weeks for, for both, but it's been a pretty eventful yeah. season yeah. overall for everybody, but no, it was cool. It was definitely cool. You know, getting that buck and then calling you and then you texting me that you killed that big bull. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, it's nice show and tell when you come back with some big animals, especially elk and deer. Yeah, I left everybody waiting because I didn't have service for another like four or five days. Yeah, like it was I, ultimate tease. Yeah, people like grow tears. Like, where's the picture, bitch? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, dude, I'm on my fucking inreach. I can't. I'm not gonna have service for a while. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It was. It was cool. You know that area where we're in. Um. You know much mule deer in there. Surprisingly. Yeah. yeah so I think I saw one 140 inch buck maybe and that's it i mean there's enough elk but yeah yeah but no it, it uh it, yeah it's been a good season so far i um i uh, uh yeah my on my end it was funny because we had just done a podcast and i was talking about you know shoot what you want i'm not a great trophy hunter and then i shot that bull and it's like look a, a trophy hunter actually is hunting an animal like what you did right and yeah. a trophy doesn't necessarily mean score or age or whatever but you know what is you're holding out for specifically mm-hmm. that fucking elk could have been 40 inches shot, small i would have shot it right my goal was 300 six by six yeah i just we got to it and there was ground growage like oh yeah we walked up and it was laying there and i was like oh, i fucked up that that elk's quite a bit bigger than i thought yeah. and then what had happened its body was so fucking big it it i knew it had short main beams but it made it look shorter. Mm-hmm. So when I got to it, I was like, that fuck, that's a fucking Roosevelt. That's a thousand pound bull. And, uh, and it was, it was uniquely big. Like it was, and it was, it was old, but like mm-hmm. what was, what was, you know, kind of going like with, with the, the, the different scenarios and shot executions and right and frontal shots or broadside shots. The one thing I think I would want to stress about all of this is, is we, 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 we do have a lot of things going for us here. Meaning we have a great range at my house. We have a range here, but also is the commitment to do it. It's like working out, right? Like mm-hmm. people say, I don't have time. Eh, yeah, maybe not. But, but for the most part you have, doesn't take too much to do squat thrusts and push-ups. And the same thing with shooting, um, you know, practicing tons of different scenarios when you can, whether that's at a 3D course or, you know, you grab a block target and throw it down a hill, shoot at it, whatever. Like, you know, we're, we are all very, very um, anally retentive about our our arrow setups and our broadhead setups and shooting. And, and you know what I mean? Being able to, I mean, what's the last thing in the world for me? Like is a, there's like three primary things. I never want to be the guy that can't ever make it right. That just gives up that I can't make it Two is I don't want to be the guy that has a bull at 40 yards and I have a 12 inch gap to shoot from and hit the fucking tree. I, I don't want to be that guy either. Meaning a, a doable shot that you, you don't make right because yeah. you may only get one opportunity and the next one is, is 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 obviously like when it when it comes to all of this i i, I say make the shot but also having the wherewithal for your gear to know like what's going to be the best scenario for everything, not get pushed off the mountain, not have bow problems, not have, you know, when it comes to like you, you shoot pins really well, mm-hmm. you know, having a single pin and screwing that up, like really dissecting the best case scenario, best possible situation and gear you have to, uh, you know, to, 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 to make all that hard work for the entire year come true. Uh, in your case, um, you're as psychotic as I am and younger. So that's even better. Dan's the same way you guys shot thousands and thousands of arrows and we fucked with your arrow or you did fucked with your arrow setup and your vein combo and broadheads and everything else and we actually ended up getting you um 
uh, XF33, uh, which was, you had gained quite a bit of speed from your other bow. Yeah, 264 to 280. Yeah, so that, you know, helps even a little bit more as far as that goes. And you, you can pin gap really well. So you have a seven pin on there or a five? Seven, yeah, seven, yeah. the Spot Hog uh, Pro Hunter. Yeah, yep. yeah, is that what it is? I think, is it the Pro Hunter? Is it a dial? Oh, no, no, it's the... Um, oh, you have the Hoggett. The ho- is yeah. it the Hoggett? Their original site, you have yeah, this, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think that's the Hoggett mm-hmm. or the Hog, ah, whatever. Ah, we'll the we'll fucking spot hog. <laughs> it's the original like seven pin site, the one that they had the Cam Haynes version. It's just the cooler one. When I say cooler, it has. It doesn't say keep hammering on it. Just like yeah. <laughs> well, dude, I had that one of those in uh, 2000. Uh, I mean, we're like 99 maybe. Yeah. Before there was no wrap, right? There was none of that shit. It was like this quarter inch wide guard, mm-hmm. but it had the pivoting pins. Yeah. Yeah. Shit's come a long way since then. <laughs> um, but yeah, those, they last forever, uh, those yeah. sites. And so, uh, I mean, and again, the durability, like is what I'm talking about. Like, you know, I was packed in on a horse shit, getting banged around and everything else, like, you know, lock tighting things into place. And I'm only bringing this up because the amount of questions that come across my table of shit that's gone south mm-hmm. uh, for people. Um, yeah, just be, be fucking ready, right? I mean, just be ready for anything. And then also don't don't be a, a, a weenie. Like our cameraman hiked out early. He, I don't know what the fuck happened, but he didn't make it, right? Um, probably had, maybe his gear choices weren't the best in the world. And so like, again, we're lucky. We have a lot of different gear to pick from. Uh, but, you know, if you're going to take this serious setting yourself up for success and potentially sacrificing other things you might want to better yourself in the woods is a, is a, is a good thing if you're taking this seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's the difference between people's mindsets. I mean, I live and breathe this. I wake up every morning. I work out just for hunting to stay in shape and then also hiking on every weekend. Um, but it's also, I talked to another guy and it's more or less what's, what's, what's your commitment? What's your mental toughness? I mean, some people, I know a lot of people that would have totally not even gone to where I was hunting for that deer that weekend just because of the weather. Yeah. I was excited the whole time. Never once even kind of complain just because I know what's to come. And, you know, we do have good gear, but hunkered down. I was literally happy the whole time. I'm, you know, I'm not going to think, oh, I'm wasting my time right now. I was not wasting my time. I was ready for that moment when it did clear and I could just get out and then see deer. Um, you know, but preparation also, I mean, we shot, like you said, thousands around uh, thousands of arrows and, um, you know, and that's the difference between like, if you're shooting pins, you definitely should be doing that, Yeah. you know, cause you're, you're trying to figure out your pain gaps. Just like, I mean, the difference between 20 and 30 yards is not much. When that cow popped up, I knew exactly where to put it and put it on her and let it rip. You know, we practice at that, you know, we range it at 43 yards. You know, what's the pain gap between that? Where do you want to aim? You know, 43 yards, I want to put the 40 pin just a little bit below into the 12 if I want to shoot, if I want to make a kill shot, you know? So, and and that's one of the reasons I try to stick with a certain speed because of getting used to that arc of the arrow. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other thing too, is like little tricks of the trade of, uh, you know, if, if you're shooting at something at 40 and there's branches and you range a branch and it's 20 yards from me and you draw back and you put your 40 yard pin on the animal and your 20 yard pins on that branch, you are actually in fact aiming at that fucking branch yeah, you're gonna hit it you're gonna hit it so like my the mule deer in arizona i had a single it was a triple strand fence or four anyway they're all fucked up there was there was one strand at the top and uh i thought man if this fucking deer comes at twenty eight thirty, this is not gonna be good because my 20 yard pin was on the fucking <laughs> fence and sure yeah. enough it did yeah. and so but having that wherewithal to okay 
what are my limitations of how high I can aim? Where do I need to aim? Where can I still kill it and miss the, the fence? And, and, and I did, but, and I'm only saying this for people to, you know, kind of take a step back, maybe what went wrong with your season, what you could have, you know, avoided thought process, assessing what's going on. Um, like you said, a lot of people, um, get a little fucked up pin gapping in, in moments of, of, uh, when the moment high anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for me, and I try to simplify this for people, I use the farther, the closest pin to the, the yardage. Yep. So if it's 47, I put my 50 on its heart or whatever. Yep. If it's 23, I just throw my 20 in its lungs. But you know what I mean? Like I don't, you start really dissecting both pins. It's more of brain power to do it. So, you know, I've explained this to guys like, okay, it's 64. Where are you going to shoot it? And I'm like, you know, meaning am I going to use my 60 or my 70? And I'm like, well, and this is, you know, to me, body line with a 70 will be decent, but that's an assessment you have to make. Do you want to put your 60 high and have a drop in? Do you want to put your 70 low and have it raise, you know, raise in? Yep. And well, what do you do? I'm like, well, it really doesn't fucking matter what I do. It's what's more comfortable to you. To me, I'm generally preferring aiming lower. Yeah. Right? And people ask, you know, what do you do? You have to figure that out by practicing it yourself. Yeah. You, yep. You'll figure out quickly what you like more. Do you like, you know, people, you know, they'll come down on it or they'll come up. And I come up and you're not technically supposed to do that. That's not preferred for accuracy. Mm-hmm. But I ain't fucking but, stopping, but that's what I do. Fucking works for you. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's the thing. It, it works for certain individuals. So figure out what you want to do. If you want to shoot pins, shoot pins and shoot them consistently to figure out your gaps. Yeah. And then if you want to shoot slider, figure out your slider, but also, I mean, I won't condone shooting one pin, one pin sliders, especially rail cunning. Don't do that. Honestly, like uh, it's not good. No, no, you're going to, unless you're shooting only 20 to 30. Yeah. I mean, how many times have you, I shot a A bull, fucking lot. Yeah. Yeah. I shot a bull, came (laughs) into 10 yards and then spooked out to 50, but having that 50 yard pin, put it on it, shot it, killed it. Yeah. But if you're sitting there, you'd be sitting there, slide it and he'd be gone. Yeah. So the other thing is releases. So like Kenny and I are a good example. I can kind of half-ass shoot a puncher. Kenny can shoot one really well. I just, and we tried... Uh, there's a pile of oh, yeah. releases at my house. Uh, just, you know, plus I like to screw around, but like I, I just shoot a hinge better. Like mm-hmm. that's what I, I shoot a hinge for everything. I screwed her and don't get me wrong. I'll occasionally rip out the wrist rocket, especially in high wind. But, um, you know, overall, like this year, uh, the three prime animals in the, in the fall, I've shot a hinge. Um, and uh, I, I aim better with one of those, but you don't, and you don't punch the shit out of the trigger. So it makes zero sense uh for you to do anything or listen to anything i say other than to gather knowledge maybe try it and then move on and you did try some releases yeah and i, I still occasionally especially with the tournament setup i've been messing with the hinge more yeah you know it's it's more or less what you shoot comfortably you and dan shoot a hinge very well i mean i can shoot a hinge good too but i also can shoot a pretty good controlled you know quote-unquote puncher yeah you know i it's all people think punching you're thinking i'm just putting it up there in a little light and letting it rip you got to keep that finger stiff and just pull through your shot. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's basically the same principle as a hinge, but you're it's controlling just most people it. don't have the mind control yeah, to, to yeah. do it, but yeah, it is a hundred percent. And, you know, I, and the thing about me is I got so into this, especially at a young age that I developed that shot process and everything at a very young age, you know, did start a little early and some bad habits, but I don't know, especially with hunting, I've always been so invested into it and just being more knowledgeable, just like why now mule deer have me absolutely addicted is that 
when I find something like this, I'm going to go fully into it. Yeah. So it's more, it's people's mindsets. Like some people will never have that mindset and they'll just keep asking you questions, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, and I mean, the best way to learn is just do it, you know, fuck around with it. And I like the stove, right? Kid's not going to know the stove's hot till he touches the stove. And, and, uh, you know, I'm not saying you don't want to hit an easy button for a few things, meaning read about releases, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't, you know, it, it, I've known guys, including myself when I was younger to, to use things that I sh- probably shouldn't have been knowing I was using something else even better. Meaning if you don't have target panic and you shoot an index finger, I don't really suggest them as much for target unless like for you, it might be different. You know, one out of every many, many people shoot a puncher better, or I say puncher, but an index finger better for the most part. Um, a hinge type, you know, whatever it's better for tournaments, but there are Jack Wallace, Michael Braden. There's others that shoot an index finger really well for tournaments, but they're very few. Yeah. But for hunting, if you can shoot a puncher, it's fucking handy. I will say that. I just personally inside of 50, no problem out there. I got to shoot a hinge. I'll fucking rip that. I'll break the barrel off. I'll (laughs) I'll break it. I'll bend it. You know? And when I say that, maybe not every shot, but man, that one that I do it on might not be good, right? Where with that hinge, I'm good. I don't, I don't, I don't punch it. Oh yeah. But people listen in. If that's not your bag, don't fucking do what I do. Do what's comfortable for you. I will say, if you black out, shit your pants and everything else, what do you have to lose? Try a try a hinge. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you've got it on, that's where I really stress. If like I never pushed it on you, other than try it, was you shoot a puncher really well. There's not a big reason to change other than to experiment where other people have been like, look, you got to shoot a hinge or some kind of attention and do it at five yards and work your way back because it can't get any fucking worse, dude. Like you're, you're fucked with the trigger. Like you're, you, yeah, you're shooting it 10 feet over their back or, yeah. you know, just like, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's more or less like, especially now, you know, tournament wise, I've been messing more with the hinge. You know, you recommended that you know, and, and I like it. I've been shooting really well with the hinge, but also I recognize when I'm hunting, I can still shoot a very well controlled shot. I don't really, especially now I don't really shit my pants anymore. Like I did a few times with the first elk, first few elk and got lucky in a sense that I did punch it off and just it hit the right area. Yeah. But now it's become to where I can really focus and then make a good shot. And even when we're shooting tournament, I mean, we shot a few, you know, 20 targets, 20 ASA targets. And I do pretty well, especially score wise, but, um, it's yeah, I mean, you're in the high one nineties, 200 pluses frequently with a puncher at pretty far distances, meaning we're not shooting sub 50. In fact, 50 are the closer <laughs> shots. The close yeah. Ones, yeah. So, and that's the thing not to dive into this too, too far, but like, um, when, when people are listening to this and assessing, like there's a few like definite rules of the road. Uh, you want your peep to line up with your housing and nose buttons, not a bad idea. If you have some issues with fading out of the peep, um, you know, arrow rest wise, there are certain arrow rests I feel no one should use. And then there's other, a group of three or four that are really good, um, you know, and very, um, conducive to, to hunting situations. Um, you know, the fletching configuration, like people worry about that quite a bit. Um, Kenny, I both use 2.6 inch, uh, hybrids, which, you know, technically for some would be too big or bigger than they'd want. Yeah. Um, I, 
personally have shot pretty far with those and don't have an issue, you know, if, if the, there's some wind drift problems, but the stabilization is more important, you know, so when you go through kind of the, the, the rules of the road of what's most important after that, do you want to shoot a three, five or seven pin, something like that mm-hmm. or four? Cause that's what I'm shooting. I think, you know, you sit down and you assess, okay, what am I hunting? Oregon coast, the three pins, probably not a horrible idea. Like I've had elk within five yards and couldn't see the fucking things. Right. (laughs) I mean, it happens. And so, but if you're out and you're like with, with, with Kenneth, where he's in an area where he can shoot pretty far or close and that pins don't, aren't too jumbled, Mm -hmm. zero issue, shoot the most pins you can. If you're in the mid road, that five pin, four pin, where you can get out to 50 or 60 and then a dial to, to dial farther. That is all up to that specific person, but a single pin is generally not one of the ones that I would say I would push someone to really ever. Um, I'll give an assessment if, uh, or assessment, I'll give you an example. Um, You come over the cliffs, you know, you, to, to shoot an animal, you first pop up and it's 37 yards. Animal sees you move, but doesn't know what you are. You're coming in above it. They usually don't have as much danger, like let's say a mountain goat or something like that. Mm. And he, he walks out 10 to 12 yards. Now you can try to guess a 10 to 12 yard drop or you're dialing. So you let down dial, draw back. That's a lot of movement to where, Oh, 10 to 12 yards. Then you just go to the next pin. Mm Mm-hmm. It takes five seconds at a minimum to let that bow down, dial, redraw an anchor. That's five seconds is a fucking lifetime. And those are the things people need to really think about. Oh, yeah. And especially if you're hunting a bigger deer, that deer's not going to stay around for five more seconds. So yeah, not gone. unless it's on a fucking private ranch. I guess. Yeah, yeah that's true. We got <laughs> yeah. to account to that. But yeah. it's, it's, yeah, you, the amount of time to change and everything. I mean, I have buddies that have got single pins after I told them not to. Yeah. And then- they text me later in that season. Well, I just had a bull, you know, bust out and I couldn't get a shot. I'm like, well, uh, yeah. Okay. No, dude, <laughs> you know? gu- guiding is the worst. Oh, I bet. Somebody's constantly reaching, moving to their site and then it walks off and you're like, <sighs> like <laughs> this is getting straight. And I, I get it. And, and there are good Henry Ferguson does great with a single pin, mm-hmm. but he's got it figured out. But I mean, again, like you're, you're sometimes picking out the unicorn, like, oh, yeah. well, this guy does it. Are you that guy? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I mean, like punching, right? Tim does really well. Kyle Douglas, puncher. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's your cup of tea, don't listen to me, punch. But if you're punching and shooting in the 180s on a 3D course, you're probably not. Probably should fix. Pro- probably not Tim or Kyle considering they're, you know, they're in the 240s or whatever, 230s, right? So I, 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 that's where it gets a little bit convoluted is, well, this guy does it and I prefer it. Mm-hmm. Are you posting high scores? Are you, you know, are you very accurate in hunting situations? And again, it's, assessment of what you're doing, where you're at and how to, how to get better. Um, I, I, the other thing that, you know, maybe, you know, talk about a little bit, cause it's been a huge question for me is that the fixed blade, um, mechanical arrow weight, um, scenarios that people run through. Kenneth is not, uh, overly long armed. Uh, what's your draw length? 28. And, uh, your arrow was for what? 440 and going 280. Yeah. Yep. And you're shooting, I think you have some of my two inch or your two inch severs, but you, whatever, there's a pool of shit at my house. Yeah. We all use, um, we got a mixture. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but you, you blew through that, that cow, which would be equivalent to a giant mule deer. That cow was what? Probably 300 pounds or something. Probably 400 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit, you know, yeah. not a really big yeah. mule deer. Yeah. Um, but you blew all the way through it. So you went through lungs, liver, potentially gut bag, 
thumb and test and yep. So and poking the out fletchings the fletchings were right at the heart. Yeah, you say that. Yeah, the yeah. fletchings were at the heart. So that much penetration at twenty five yards shooting two eighty with four forty. I feel pretty good about that, yeah. especially shooting in the chest. You know, it's not, it's going through, there's some muscle right there. It's going right it's through that. It's a thick ass hide. Yep. That's the thickest part of the hide on an elk is right mm-hmm. there too. So Yeah. And it, it opened up that elk and it was, it was done, you know, and we, you know, we test everything. I, I was fully confident that was going to happen. Coming from Oregon, you have to shoot, you know, I, I guess they changed a lot recently, but you had to shoot, shoot straight fixed blades. So yeah. that's all I shot forever. This was the first time I shot a mechanical. And, you know, it's, it's definitely personal preference. I mean, we've had good mechanic, good, uh, some fixed blades that did the Magnus, um, stingers. Yeah. Those fly pretty well. Yeah. Especially Um, for a cheap broadhead. For a cheap broadhead, those fly really well, you know, but when we're shooting field points and then shooting those severs or, or the schwackers and we're shooting freaking groups, you know, out to 80 yards that are very lethal. Yeah. Right. With our field tips. Yeah. Yeah. With our field tips, it's, it's hard not to shoot that and then you feel way more confident yeah. going into the, you don't, you're not going to have a little, uh, fixed blade sailing off. It all comes into tuning as well. I mean, yeah. we, we were pretty anal retentive of that, yeah. but, and blood trails are a big one. Oh yeah. There was blood everywhere. I yeah. mean, I've seen people shoot with a single bevel, you know, like those kudu points and they don't have any sort of blood trail whatsoever. Yeah. And it's not that the kudu points bad. People no. ask me that all the time. We'll I'm like, look, down. it's, Oh yeah. I'm yeah. just like, look, it's, it's the nature of the beast. It's just, not as much trauma, not as big of a hole. And, you know, for, for me with the stick, obviously it was a given, I shot a giant fixed blade, but I don't, I think that, um, a lot of times, and I'm not saying, you know, mechanicals don't, don't fail, but I think how much did the human fail before the mechanical did like, you you know, and, and, and I get it. You watch some of those TV shows, the mechanical hits doesn't go in that far. I, I get it. But, uh, with this, the situation, I'm like at five seventeen at two eighty eight or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I'll shoot whatever. <laughs> I can yeah. blow through anything. Yeah, yeah. and I, I do have guys and and and, it, and I love answering these questions because it, it helps guys feel more confident or firm in their decision. Hey man, I got a thirty one inch draw. I'm shooting a five hundred and forty grain arrow. Am I all right to shoot a mechanical? And I'm like, yep. <laughs> at anything, literally <laughs> anything, anything in North, North America. America. Yeah. 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 Um, and and again, like uh, I wouldn't have uh, any issue with Amy set up shooting a smaller mechanical at a whitetail. Um, now people, you know, listening in, I get it. Hey, you know, what if she hits the scapula? She's probably not making it through that anyway. Um, exactly. And I definitely, I always hear that some fucking guy that shot broke a shoulder knuckle. And well, there's one, um, on a high five. Yeah. I mean, like there's one guy that, that I, that I know of that I saw pictures that a guy hit the shoulder <laughs> knuckle and it went through, but I, I know 400 that haven't. Yeah. And you know, when I say that that's mechanical or fixed plates, so you really want to choose what you're most comfortable with. And if you're listening to this saying, I've had great luck with fixed plates, I'm not telling you to switch. No, I'm just letting people know that a mechanical is a great option, a good high-performing mechanical. There is some shit mechanicals out there, but there's shit fixed blades too uh, out there. So yeah, I'm definitely, I've shot, I mean, I'll I'll shoot a mechanical, I mean, a a fixed blade again. I mean, I shot that forever, killing bulls. And I just had evolution outdoors, send me a bunch of the Jekyll and Hyde's fixed blades and mechanicals. I've heard good things about those. Yeah, no, they're good. I've got right now, um, I've got some iron wheels that obviously I'm a big proponent of those. And then Mm -hmm. I've got some Rocky mountain three blades, those Jekyll and Hyde's. And then, um, what else? I think that was it. I had in the, 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 the quiver and, and yeah, it's funny. I, and I hate this cause I don't want, uh, 
Yeah, I shot the elk with the schwacker. And people are like, what's wrong with a sever? It's like, just because I, sh- I I would be a horrible gear tester if I didn't test these broadheads. Yeah. And Levi brought manufacturing into the United States, or that crew did. Mm-hmm. Um, so I told him I would I would try all these American-made uh, broadheads in the LRP system. And so I, uh, you know, the best way to test it is shoot a giant bull elk. And so, you know, that doesn't mean I'm going to shoot evolution broadheads too and severs. And I love severs. Obviously, I'm a big fan of severs. Um, but it's, it's good testing. And, and two, I mean, the best thing too is when you have something perform well, well or fail, you can at least speak in, intelligently about it. Yeah, because so. yeah, anybody can ask me you know, how do you think the severs perform? I mean, we've seen it, but yeah. you know, it's, it's more or less like we do, Dan and I do get pretty privileged on that. We do get to test some good gear, you know, very good gear. <laughs> You've been drinking. I know. Right? <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's, it's more or less, you know, we, we want to become more knowledgeable and you've kind of helped us with that. And since that gear that we get to test, I mean, we've had, I can't even count how many different shelters I got to use through the summer and then through season I know now, at least the Acto is probably my favorite. I'm a smaller dude, um, very kind of minimalist. I don't need a bunch of big rooms, so I like the Acto. But for Dan, he's a, he's way taller than me. He probably won't really like the Acto, yeah. you know. So it's it's more or less where we get to test some different gear. I mean, I'm excited to maybe try some other mechanicals and see how they do. I'm gonna try to kill that late bull in December with a bow, and then I don't know. I'm not I'm not opposed, obviously, to Pope and gun it, but you know, I'm definitely going to try. Nothing sh- wrong with the Pope and gun. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, after bow hunting a while, like when you're late into whitetail season mm-hmm. and it's colder than shit, I, I, they have those big plastic blocks blinds in some of the areas down in Texas and Oklahoma. I'm not opposed to a buddy heater in one of them in late December with a rifle. Like people, I thought you were a bow hunter. I'm like, I'm a meat eater too. Um, Mm-hmm. And those fucking, those deer taste good. And so, yeah, but, uh, I, I think though, like with, with what you're saying is, is, uh, you're not, your, your word is not very valid if you only test it, um, one thing, one thing, or you only test five things, but it's in the garage, right? You want to try to get it out there in the field as much as possible. And some people don't have the opportunities we have. I, I, I get it, but that's why it's our job to relay to it. test those things out. So. Yeah. Yeah. Test it out and actually put it into the field. I mean, we, we beat the shit out of things and it's not on purpose. It's just how we, we actually get out and scout every weekend. You know, we're going through, I mean, we've got to wear in the, the born primitive line. Yeah. And I mean, those heavyweight pants, I probably won't go on any sort of hunt just without those heavyweights. Yeah. I like them for, I mean, I was using it archery season, you know, early, I mean, it would get up to 80 degrees, but then drop down, you know, high thirties, forties. Yeah. And I was comfortable the whole time, you yeah. know, but who, who's out there, you know, going to have that knowledge to spread it out. You know, it's, you got to listen to people who are doing it yeah. and you know, you can read something and it looks good on paper, but until, I mean, you got to build validation. Dan and I still have to build a lot of validation. We know that we're motivated, yeah. but you know, that's the one thing is just want to become more knowledgeable to, to relay, relay it like you do. And then, you know, people are going to trust it. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I think like you're talking about broadheads was way off. Like, uh, the sever, the one issue with the sever is getting in, in and out of the foam yes. is a bitch. And I remodified mine. I put foam in it, drilled the hole. Uh, but even still, and I found this out, like if I ate shit and bumped my, my arrows, it would push into the foam farther. 
uh, and open them a little, mm-hmm. which could be over time the, the the rubber band could get weak or whatever. Yeah. Reverse that to a, a schwacker. Fucking easiest in the world. No issues whatsoever, but a schwacker at steep angles could pivot off the animal the way that it opens because one's rear deploying, one's forward deploying. Um, Evolution Outdoors is... Um, Hybrid, right? It's fixed blade and a mechanical. That's more towards the schwacker, um, you know, ease of use in the sense. But uh, again, there's there's pros and cons to all of them. So when you look at a, a specific, um, sp- like arrows, let's say, mm-hmm. all arrows are pretty fucking good, right? Oh, all yeah. the, all the higher end ones, components. Mm-hmm. That's where they start to fall way the fucking left and right and you know obviously testing all of that so again when i you know you see me using one to the next the next if i don't say anything bad about them there's nothing wrong with it i'm just trying out new stuff and the good thing with all three of us is we can try out a lot more or you can say well dan said it with specific arrows where i'm like man i kind of like this and he's like no no that's not good and this component sucks and i'm like yeah the component and then we test it out talk about it it's, mm. it's handy so oh yeah yeah it's, it's fun in a sense too, because we are fully invested into it. So, you know, it's, it's, it's our passion, but it's, and it's also our passion now to really relay it, what we like. And then def- you determine, obviously, if you like it, like I like pins, you may not like pins, yeah. you know, it's, it's more or less, you know, if you don't like pin, pins, then maybe talk, talk to Aaron, talk to Dan, you know, if you do like pins, talk to me. I mean, we're, we're going to help out anytime you want to you know, message us or anything you can. And we're all three different body types, which is nice which too. Helps, yeah. yeah. Dan's got a 31 inch draw. I'm 29, you're 28. Yep. And you know, with that, obviously poundage wise, we're all about the same, but different body types, you know, different arrow setups a little bit, you know, as far as your, your one spine below me, Dan is the same or one spine stiffer than I am. That sounded weird. Yeah. Um, hey. Yeah. <laughs> on that note. So any anyhow, man, we've been on over an hour. I should probably get off here so you can go back to work and I can answer emails. But, uh, but yeah, dude, congrats on the deer and, and, the, and the elk. The, the deer was definitely, I was rooting for you. So I thought worst case scenario, I'll get an in-reach message. But it uh, worked out I was still, I think I was driving or maybe at Luke's or something. You, you, you were me. driving on the road to Colorado when I called you. And uh, yeah, that was the uh, first thing I called you. And I was just like... I was pretty excited, pretty animated, which I don't usually get, but a deer like that, he... Yeah, that's one to be animated over. Yeah, that's he, the kind of deer will make people poach. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a big one. He's a big one, and uh, hopefully, I'm, I mean, I'm going to scout my ass off next year and uh, hopefully turn up another one like him or and a bigger one. Yeah, See. hell yeah. Well, cool, right on. Thanks, everybody, for listening in, and uh, have a good... Well, today's the last day in Colorado, so uh, have a good extended season. Yep, good luck. Good <laughs> luck.